0: The reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ.
1: In this series on rediscovering Jesus, it would be impossible to rediscover Jesus without addressing what Jesus said about money. As a matter of fact, Jesus said more about the subject of money than he did about any other, shall we say, material subject. It was frequently a part of his teachings. I remember... um, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I remember when it dawned on me, early in elementary school somewhere, that addition and subtraction were the same thing except on opposite sides of the coin. Now you say, well, that's a big duh. No, it's not a big duh. You didn't always know that. At some point, a teacher helped you to discover it. So it was it was an overwhelming epiphany to me when I realized that my addition problem or my subtraction problem could be checked the opposite way. And of course, that goes for multiplication and, and division. And really, it was quite foolproof uh, because most of the time, you're not going to make the same mistake twice. So if you actually double-checked your work opposite, it's likely you would get it correct. How often do you think I did that? Yeah, almost never. I, I didn't really like math. I liked ideas. I think if I had a math teacher who could have communicated to me the power of ideas through math, I might have liked math better. I loved the concept. I didn't just apply it very well. I, I can remember multiple times my teacher saying, Bobby, you made a very silly mistake. All you had to do was check that. Yes, Ms. Davis. <laughs> and I didn't. But I say that by way of illustration. Again, I'm into ideas. Here's the idea. Sometimes you could listen to the teachings of Jesus, which are stated in a declarative way, like a declarative sentence. And you could turn them around and put them in form of a question. And all of a sudden, sometimes when you do that, a light comes on, an epiphany breaks loose. Maybe it won't be that big of a deal to you, but at least this morning, I'd like to take the declarative statements of Jesus and turn them around into questions. Here's the way we'll do it. There's, there's four questions. The first question is this. Jesus says, in effect, with declarative sentences, where is? is your heart here's how it plays out in declarative sentences do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal don't you love that the treasures you have on this earth are corruptible says jesus don't store up for yourselves those kinds of treasures but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where Moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. But here's the key phrase. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question, where's your heart? That's the question I think Jesus would want us to ask after reading this passage. Before we go any further in trying to discover treasures of the heart let's remind ourselves of this a treasure is not identical with stuff or money right there are things and there is money and any number of things and all the money in the world quite frankly could be in your possession without it being your treasure so jesus is not just talking about numbers and stuff. He's talking about how numbers, namely money, and stuff control your heart. Or to put it another way, Jesus is not speaking against wealth. He's not speaking categorically against possessions. He's not speaking absolutely against all property. He's not making a statement that you could call a prohibition against savings or insurance or investments. If he was making that statement, most of us would be living entirely opposite the teachings of Jesus. Savings are important. Investments are important. Insurance is important. I am very grateful that the church has a life insurance on me. My wife is very grateful. (laughs) As a matter of fact, it's good stewardship. So Jesus is not talking about just stuff and just money and just putting things away. He's talking about where your treasure is as you handle money and you handle things and you handle investments. As a matter of fact, Jesus illustrated on more than one occasion, but one that's really clear, the principles of bad stewardship when he talked about the steward who invested very well and the steward who invested with less money but also very well and the steward who had a little bit of money but didn't invest it at all for his master. Jesus said, that's bad stewardship. I think often we look at that parable and we think about it as it relates to our talents and the kingdom of God. Our abilities to do things for the kingdom of God. But also... If you compare it to this text and many other texts that Jesus speaks about money, he must also have been speaking about our wealth. In that parable, he must also have been saying to us, you have lots of things. I'm talking about to us in the 21st century right now. You've got many things. Are you going to invest it wisely in such a way that it advances the kingdom of God and prepares you and your family for some measure of security? Are you going to blow it and waste it? Or are you going to invest it in such a way that that investment captures your heart? Invest wisely what you have, but don't allow your investments to be the treasure of your heart. The love of money is the thing that's dangerous, right? Uh, Paul puts that very explicitly in First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. And before that verse and following that verse, it describes people who, uh, this is just hideous. It describes people who are actually taking the good news or the gospel or teaching, Jesus' teaching, and making money out of it. Getting great gain out of the use of the gospel. And Paul says, are you kidding me? The problem here is the love of money. It's the root of all evil, he says. Not money itself, but the love of it. So what Jesus is speaking to is a principle. A principle that we might call pure materialism. A principle that looks like materialism as the governing principle for your life. He's speaking against it. Now, having uh, set those things aside, so we're not so radical as to be foolish... Let's dig a little deeper and be honest. Treasures are something that captures our heart. It could be any number of things. It could be money. It could be people. It could be fame. A treasure captures your heart. Jesus says, I don't want you, my followers, to have your hearts Captured by treasure material wealth That's exactly the opposite of the way I want you to live Money more than perhaps anything else Speaks to the issues of the heart Money provides a lot of things for us it provides security So we don't have as many worries an issue of the heart. It provides for us status so that we're admired. An issue of the heart. It provides for us power so we can buy anything at the drop of a hat to satisfy our own needs. An issue of the heart. Shall I say self-control? It provides for us money independence. I don't need anything or anybody. An issue of the heart. Total self-consumption. Money, of course, provides pleasure. Indulgence. I can have whatever I want. Again, an issue of the heart. That's why Jesus speaks so carefully and directly about money in this passage and other places because money is an issue of the heart. So the question is, at the outset, where's your treasure? That tells me where your heart is. Where is your heart? Second question. Who owns your soul? Now Jesus put it a little differently. He talked about Masters. But I put it this way, who owns your soul? Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus uses this image of the eye, and you could take it in a number of ways, but let's just use it this way. The image of the eye and light into the body, it's in effect Jesus saying, your eye, as it relates to money, it's a window Into your soul. If Jesus were here. He might say. I can peer into your soul. Through your treasure. If it's money. It tells me what's inside. You might have many loves in your life. I've got many loves in my life. I love sports. I don't think I could preach without sports because that's the way I decompress after I'm done with one of these sermons. I watch whatever is on television related to sports and it is therapeutic for me. I just love it. Always did, did as a kid, continue as an adult because now I admire those people who do things I can only imagine. I love it. It's one of my loves. I actually love my home. I do. I uh, walked up the stairs this morning actually reflecting on this passage and I realized how much I loved my home. It's it's a beautiful home. It's a comfortable home. There's memories in that home that they almost speak out of the walls for me. I love that home. Of course, there's something that resides in that home and did reside in that home that I love more than the home. It's my children who still speak memories from those walls. It's my wife who is in the bedroom as I walk up those stairs. Well, they, they are things I love deeply. I love the church. I love this church. But Jesus says, in effect, you can have many loves in your life, but you can only have one master. And so he asked this pointed question, who is your master? Who owns your soul? Do your things and the money surrounding your things, do they own your soul? Or do I own your soul? You know, there's some characteristics of a servant-master relationship. If you happen to be a servant or a slave, all your thoughts primarily are about the master. That's the notion of slavery. All your time is spent seeking out the master's needs and attending to those needs. The demands of the master are your command. That's the relationship between servant and master, slave and master. The question is, Have you compared that to money? Have you taken a spiritual inventory and said to yourself, all my thought is about, oh my, my master, money. All my time is spent, I hadn't noticed, thinking about my master, money. The demands of money are my command. Is it possible that Jesus is saying something about master relationship and servant relationship and putting you right in the crosshairs and saying to you, there's a master in your life. That's exactly what he's saying. If not a master, a potential master. And the master is things and money. And you are serving it. It's not serving you. C.S. Lewis has a way with words, and I quote him unapologetically more than any other author. Because nobody had a way with words quite like he. And on so many subjects. On this subject he said, prosperity, listen to this, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he's finding his place in it while really it's finding its place in him. Now that's chilly. Especially as it relates to money. Question, who owns your soul? Third question, how is your faith? Again, a spiritual inventory question. I want to remind you of something you probably already know. The people to whom this first Address was given the people who heard Jesus's teachings for the first time Were probably people who were relatively impoverished That is to say when he said to them words like these therefore I tell you do not worry about your life about what you will Eat or drink or about your body what you will wear They said to themselves. No kidding. I worry about that every day Because I don't have a closet full of clothes. And I can't go to the grocery store after church. And I have no insurance plan if everything goes wrong. I live from day to day, hand to mouth. Just remember, as we think about that, this is who Jesus was speaking to. As to the first audience, primarily very impoverished people. Don't worry about your food or your drink or your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spend, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear or what shall we drink? For the pagans run after all those things, but your Father in heaven knows you need them. Again, Jesus is not suggesting with the analogy to the birds that we should be poor stewards and not set aside things for a rainy day. That's not the point. The point is about worry. Jesus is saying, look at the birds. They are constantly busy they work all the time, singing while they work, and they don't worry. Or to put it in other words, another way, they work themselves into a frenzy through work, just because they're busybodies, just because they work. But you don't see them worrying, do you? It's okay to work. It's not okay to worry. Why? Why? Because when you worry, again, it's a window into your soul. It says to me, you are not trusting me. Live in such a way that your life demonstrates that you expect and trust God for His goodness. Not that it's all up to you. That's really a hard thing to do. Because... My world tells me it is all up to me. And God says it's not. Whatever you have, you have only because I've allowed you to have it. And I'll supply your needs. So stop the worry. I read this week um, an account of a sermon that was given by an old pastor. Well, he's old now. I think he may have passed away. Warren Wearsby. In which he quoted an anonymous author and he said, he used a parallel of Jesus being crucified between the two thieves. He said, We are continually being crucified between two thieves the regrets of yesterday and the worries about tomorrow. That summarizes in part what Jesus was saying. Don't live your life that way. Don't you live your life consumed by regrets from yesterday and worried about tomorrow. Live in the life that I give you. I'm going to supply every one of your needs. How can you do this? How can you... Be there. Well, it's a spiritual discipline to get there. We we admit that, right? But in theory, how can you be there? How is it possible to live in that place? I think it's possible only to live in that place when you affirm this. God owns it all, and He's your Heavenly Father. You might have had a difficult time with your earthly father. If so, don't compare your earthly father to this father. God owns everything, and He is your benevolent, loving, heavenly Father who has your best interest in mind always. And if you believe that, that's the first step towards living a life unfettered by worry. There's good reason to believe that. Scripture teaches it over and over again. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, says Psalm 24. Every animal in the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills is mine, says the psalmist in Psalm 50. Even a a, a small book in the minor prophets, Haggai says of God saying the silver is mine. The gold is mine. Everything's mine. You know what's more? In the teachings of the New Testament, in the words of Paul, we find out another amazing ownership principle. You or mine, says God. You were bought with a price. So, I want you to glorify me with everything you have. It's something for you to use to glorify me, not something for you to use to satisfy self. Because in glorifying me with what you have, you'll have the greatest satisfaction of life. It's because I own everything, and if you understand me, I own you. So it's gonna be okay. God owns it all, so we can relax. And He's our Heavenly Father fourth question what are your priorities says jesus in this passage Uh, he puts it this way at the very end but seek first the kingdom of god his kingdom his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well what what things all the stuff you need (laughs) all the necessities of life Seek first the kingdom of God and you'll get all the other things that you need. Therefore, says Jesus, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries about itself. Uh, Each day has enough trouble of its own. I want you, says Jesus, to seek first the kingdom of God. So here's the question about priorities. First, it comes in a statement. It's a challenge. Jesus says, what are your priorities? Let me challenge you. Seek first my kingdom. In other words, make material investments in eternal things. Now really, think about it for a minute. Is that incredibly counterintuitive or what? Material investments are always for material things. Material investments are to get something material investments are to grow one's wealth material investments are about stuff you can touch and Jesus says what I want you to do with the material investments the stuff that's going to rust and corrode and go away. I want you to take that and invest it in eternal things that you can't see and really you can't grasp. I want you to take stuff that you can see, that you can hold onto, and you can have security in, and I want you to throw it in the abyss called eternity. I want you to dump it in the invisible pot called my kingdom. And I want you to surrender it to me and let me do with it what I want to do with it. And then you'll understand... What it really means to live. I've got a challenge for you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Do it. Sometimes we talk uh, about wins and losses. And sometimes we talk about a win-win. Can you imagine a better example of a win-win than this? You take what is material and cannot last. You take what corrodes and can be destroyed and stolen. And you take that stuff and you throw it into the pot of eternity. And it yields eternal results for God's kingdom. Now that's a win-win. We're always looking for the best investment, right? You can't do better than that. Jesus says there's the challenge. And there's the promise. Live for me and my kingdom with everything that you have. And eternal results will be yours. Um, as we wrap this up, I think maybe a few other questions are important for us to ask. So just ask them for yourself. Maybe you'd like to write them down and put them in your Bible and see if they fall out on you every once in a while. <laughs> and capture your attention. First question is Do you, and you know when I say you, I'm including myself, right? Do you really look at everything as if it were God's? Everything. Is that the way you view it? Second question How often do you think about God? when you spend third question how often do you think about others when you spend fourth question how much of your income do you give for eternal causes much of your income do you surrender to eternity by the way can can I stop just I can't help myself as a pastor and remind you of something this church invests time and money in people For the purpose of eternity. That's the only reason we exist. And if we as a church ever live in such a way that indicates that that compass is gone from our life, we're not being good stewards. But if you, as individual members or attenders of this church, live in such a way that that compass is not illustrated in your life, that you understand that this place is for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God, so you give liberally to the causes of eternity through this place and others, then you and I are in bad shape. God says, I want you to give away your material stuff in order to promote eternal stuff. That's a principle of stewardship. Across the board. It would be easy. I think. Um, this is the last thing I'll say about this principle. It, it would be easy I think. For us to. Be rather selective and. Let's call it impulsive. With our giving. Selective like. I'm just going to wait till I see something. That I think is a need. And then I'm going to. Satisfy the need. I'm going to wait and see somebody who's in need, and then I'm going to satisfy their need. I'm going to wait until... You know what? Impulsive giving is not wrong. But it's not consistent. Impulsive giving is not the pattern that Jesus was talking about. He was talking about your whole life, everything you own. Do you see it as his? So a consistent pattern of giving is a spiritual discipline. It gives to God and trusts Him for the rest. Final question is this. It's sort of a repeat um, of the first. But it's a, a really tough inventory question. Do you, do I, handle our resources as if they were gods. I used this illustration uh one other time on this topic. But I read uh, once of a man in Texas who was exceedingly wealthy. And he called a young pastor into his office uh, one day and um he attended the church and he said to the pastor um, I have a deal for you. I, I've got a proposal. And he slid across the table a checkbook. And the checkbook was on the ledger full of thousands of dollars. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this money and I want you to give it away. I want you to look at the community, your church, people. And I want you to say, where is this needed? And I want you to write the checks. And the only thing I request is that you come back to me and tell me the stories. See, it's actually my money, but I'm giving it to you. Do something with it. You know, in effect, that's what God says. I've blessed you so you can bless others. I've given you material wealth so you can expand the eternal kingdom of God. It's my stuff. Use it for me. You'll find great blessing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this uh, difficult teaching. It shines a searchlight on our heart, and it gives us our marching orders. It tells us that um, we have to constantly be taking our inventory, and we have to constantly place your teachings in action. Uh, We pray, Lord, that it will transform the way we think. We pray that you will remind us of it routinely, because no matter how well-intentioned we are, uh, we forget. We thank you, Lord, that you supply all our needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus our Lord. The greatest gift of salvation we receive from you and the abundant gifts that you give us every day. May we use what we have as if it is not our own, but yours, which it is, and we'll receive blessing upon blessing. Thank you for these teachings in Christ's name. Amen.